This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. So good to see you here on a Sunday morning. Bless all of you. I greet you in the name of Jesus. So if you got your Bible, go with me to the book of Numbers chapter 6. We will be in number 6 and then we'll head to the New Testament to the book of Matthew chapter 7. We're still on our series here, the, the blessing. And, you know, I, I love the different testimonies we have because you never know what people have done to get where they're at. And oftentimes we think, well, it just supernaturally happened, but there's things we do to place us in that position. Um, just real briefly, I want to share this. I, I normally would never do this, but um, there's some things happened on Twitter the other day toward me. And I'm not a Twitter guy, and so thank all of you for Instagram, whatever it was. I'm even messed up there. I would never do that, okay? So again, thank you for defending me. Actually, what happened, someone tried to scam me a little bit. So just remember this, I'd never do that, okay? So I don't want to take any more time. We go to the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, profess over them, speak to them, okay? And he goes on to say, The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, and he be gracious to you. Now, we're going to hit this one today, that the Lord be gracious to you. It's stated in other translations that the Lord be kind to you. That the Lord be merciful to you. That the Lord be compassionate toward you or toward your children. And so when you see the word gracious, we get real close to the word grace. And so I think it's something that we really, really need to believe for our own life, but also for our children. So turn with me back to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to dig in here just a little bit. The significance of the Word of God. Again, when you study the Word of God, you're going to Matthew 7. The Word of God was never meant for me and you to, to use it as multiple choice. To pick and choose. Well, I, I like that part of Scripture, but I don't like this part of Scripture. And so when we talk about the Word of God, in this passage, you're going to see here that God's desire is that we get into the Word of God and it builds an incredible foundation in every one of us. To, to live by the Word of God. God doesn't just want us to know the, the Word or the Scriptures. He wants us to live by it. He wants us to apply this. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine. Now, it's, it's important that we hear the sayings of God. But he doesn't stop there. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, obeys them, applies them, not incidental additions to your life. And I will liken him to a wise man. I will compare him to a wise man. Now, who was he referring this to? To the man who hears the word of God and obeys the word of God. I will liken him to a wise man. Keep reading with me. Who built his house upon the rock, an unshakable foundation. I, I become saturated with the word of God. 
the, the spiritual DNA of the kingdom of God. And so when you look at this right here, he gives us great insight. In order for you to be someone that's viewed as wise, your life has to be associated with the word of God. Saturated and you become a doer. Now look what it goes on to say in verse 25. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The infrastructure of God's kingdom was it was founded on the rock. Father God and his word, it never changes. It was founded on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and, and does not do them, he chooses not to apply what they've heard. Now, the interesting thing on this little passage, he hears the word but does not do them. One commentary re referenced it like this, that we talk about these in our Bible studies, but we don't do them in our everyday life. We do not ever apply them into our very everyday life. And so he says, he hears the word, but he doesn't do it. He will be like a foolish man. Now, why would he be like a foolish man? Because he chose or his preference was not to do the word of God. Now, you can look at this right here, the, the analogy, wise or foolish. I don't believe anyone in here if we said, I, I want you to raise your hand if you want to be viewed as a foolish human being. I don't believe any of us would raise our hand. But the Bible here determines the look of foolish and the term of wise. So it goes, he will be like a foolish man. And the rains descended, the floods came, and winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But the foolish man who built his house on the sand... The rains came on him and descended, and the floods came. The winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell. And not only did it fall, great was its fall. Now, I want you to go back, and I want you to look at this. Whether he was foolish or wise, they both heard the word of God. The only difference can I can find is the one who actually applies the word in the other one, who doesn't. But think about this right here. It doesn't matter which category you fell in, wise or foolish, you're not going to be exempt from the storms of life, okay? They're going to come against every one of us in this room. The only difference that I find out between standing and falling is how I apply the Word of God or I don't apply the Word of God right here. Obedience to God's Word even in the storms of life. Now, I begin to think about this passage. Can God be gracious to you even in the storms of life? I believe all, for every one of us, he can. That he wants to be merciful to you. He wants to be compassionate to you. So I want you to see this, this passage of scripture about what it looks like to be a person who's a man or woman of God and the storms of life come with you. So go back to the book of, of Genesis chapter 39 in the Old Testament. Genesis 39. Now, as you turn to Genesis 39, I gotta paraphrase a lot of this because this is a passage about a young man who's a teenager at this time in his life named Joseph. Now, Joseph had this incredible dream 
When we have dreams, understand, this is just the beginning of the journey. And with every big dream, it will take big character. So Joseph has this incredible dream, and the dream was that his 10 older brothers one day would bow before him, and even his father would bow before him. Now this was the mistake of Joseph. He thought it was his job to tell his older brothers, you're going to bow to me. And he thought they would applaud that and they would be excited about it. Now think about that. I wouldn't be excited. And so it reveals something within this man named Joseph at a young age that his tongue voiced something that was in his heart. Maybe overconfidence, maybe prideful. And so because of this, it gets him into trouble. Now, what's going to happen here, there's going to be certain things that I'm going to highlight today in Joseph's life that maybe you can identify with once in your life also that you may say, that's how my life was. That was an experience of my life. So Joseph tells his brothers this story, and guess what happens? They throw him into the pit. And the best thing about the pit was they didn't kill him. But they sell him as a slave to, to these Ishmaelites. So the very first thing that you may be able to identify in your life is this. Have you ever had family members that betrayed you? Ha have you ever had family members that, that may have deserted you? And so can God still be gracious to you in times like this? I believe he can. So here this young man has this incredible dream, and all of a sudden he faces opposition. The rains came, the floods came, and they begin to beat on that house. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of the master, his Egyptian. Now, this is interesting to me. He sold as a slave, but it said he was still successful. It still said the Lord was with him, even in a very difficult time. So you know what I begin to see immediately within this? The mercy of God is upon his life. Even in a difficult situation, when it'd be easy to quit, easy to give up. Verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. The Hebrew word for prosper here means to move forward, to progress and so here is he's a slave, but it says the Lord is causing him to prosper. You know what I see upon this? God is gracious to him right now. God's mercy upon his life. Why do I highlight this? Because some of you may be in a predicament right now where life is really squeezing you in a situation. God can still be with you. And understand this with Joseph. It shows me that his heart remained true to God. Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him. 
Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So what you see real, uh, real quick here, he's, he's divinely helped. He's promoted right now in his life. Verse 5. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house that all he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. That the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Now, if you really dig in this in Scripture, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 5, every one of them highlight the Egyptian. Every one of them. He prospered. He was successful. He was blessed in the house of this Egyptian. Even if you may be under the authority or the influence of an ungodly man or an ungodly woman, God can still bless you. God can still be gracious to you. Now, no real, real, real tight here. Look real close at the end of verse 5. And the what? And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Who God blessed him. God will bless you. Verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He must have been very good looking, but he must have been pretty buff too. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph, lustful eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Come and sleep with me. Now this is the second point I want you to see right here. In his life, he was exposed to a temptation that he didn't desire. There was nothing I can find out about him that this was his desire. And maybe that may be you, that, that you've been tempted in an area really, really strong that you didn't even desire. And so what I see about this is there's this young man who, who's, who's good looking, in form and appearance, and this lady goes after him. Verse number eight. But he refused. Wow. But he refused. He wouldn't give place to lust. He refused. And I begin to think about those words. He refused. What caused him to, be re or to refuse? I believe growing up in the house that he did, he was taught the word of God. There was something within him that he knew, this isn't right. No matter what the world says, no matter what the crowd says to do, this isn't right. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. 
There is no one greater than in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. Where do you think he got that from? I believe the Bible had been imprinted upon his heart and he knew you don't go there. And he specifically tells her, you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now think about what he just said. He defined this as wickedness. He knew any time that I disobey the scriptures in God's eyes, it's wickedness. But think about what, what sustained him. What caused him to follow his heart in this area? He said, I can't sin against God. He didn't say, I can't sin against Potiphar. I can't sin against myself. I can't sin against you. He said, I can't sin against God. He knew this in God's eyes that this was wrong. And so as you read this, I, I think that the thing we got to get across here is if I become immoral in this area, there's a good chance I'll be immoral in another area. Because sin begins to go out of effect. And the reason I say that is you go back to King David there with Bathsheba. It started out as a sexual immoral act. But again, what had to happen then? He began to lie. He had to cover his tracks. So even here with Joseph, Joseph had, had this, this call here. And the call was this. Could he stu uh, steward his body? Could he steward his cravings? Could he steward his desires and his motions? And so here's something I believe gets got to get in every one of our hearts here. I love what God loves. And I hate what God hates. How can I sin against God? Verse 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. You may want to highlight that right there, day by day. And the reason I say that is sin doesn't take days off. And every morning when I get up, I got to put that armor on. I got to ask, God, be gracious to me today. Be merciful to me. Be compassionate to me day by day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment and she said, lie with me. But he left his garment in his hand and he fled and he ran outside. Do you know the Bible's very clear? That when sin starts coming after you, if you'll notice he didn't flirt with sin, he fled. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. Flee youthful lusts. Run from them as fast as you can. Don't entertain them. Don't think you're going to be superhero in this. Run, run, run. And so this is what Joseph does here. He runs. He flees. The only problem was she had his garment. And so she takes that garment and she falsely accuses him, basically 
she lies about him. Same chapter. Look with me in verse 20. Then Joseph's masters took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now with Joseph, think about this. He's having this thought. Could life get any worse? Keep reading. But what? But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy. There's the gracious again with God, that he be gracious to you, that he be merciful to you, that he be compassionate to you. And so he showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. God continued to shine upon him. And it says in verse 22, And the keeper of the, commi- uh, the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did, there it was to his doing. So guess what happens? He goes from the pit to the prison, but even as a prisoner, he's promoted. God continues to be gracious to him. Now, this is the third point I want you to see right here that you may be able to identify with Joseph's life. Have you ever been punished for doing the right thing? How many of you ever got in trouble in school and you didn't do nothing wrong? How many of you were falsely and you didn't do something wrong? See, in these situations, when I keep my heart right, even in this, God can be gracious to you. Understand, God sees everything. And so this is what Joseph's thinking right here. I did what was right, but I was punished for it. So he's in the prison. Now remember, he's been promoted. And so he's in charge in the prison And while he's in the prison, he runs into two of the king's servants, a butler and a baker. And these two guys have had these dreams while they're in prison, but they're freaked out about their dreams because they don't know how to interpret it. And so they're needing someone to interpret. So we pick up Genesis 40, verse number six. Now, man, when you get into this, watch Joseph's heart here. And Joseph came into them, the butler and the baker, in the morning. And he looked at them, and he saw that they were sad or dejected. Now, if someone had the the, the thought of being sad or dejected, you would think it would be Joseph. But here's these two guys. They're sad and they're dejected. Verse 7, so he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? You know what I see with Joseph right there? The joy of the Lord. Even though he's in a prison, he's in an incredible position. He says, why are you fellas so down today? Verse 8. And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? 
God was obviously at the, for, uh, the forefront of his thinking. So he said, tell them to me, please. So when I begin to look at this here, Joseph, he begins to realize, these guys, they've got, they've got these dreams. But I know who can answer these dreams. And so I got a paraphrase for you. He looks at the butler and he tells him, you're going to be restored. And so when the baker hears that, he gets happy. But Joseph tells him the full truth. And you know what he says to him? He says, in three days, you're going to die. And so guess what happens? Exactly as Joseph interprets. But the problem or the mistake that Joseph makes that when the butler is going to get set free, Joseph tries to manipulate him. And for the first time, he breaks his silence and he said, I'm innocent. I should have never been here in the first place. So when you go before the Pharaoh, you tell him about me. Now, this is the fourth major point that we get in trouble. When I begin to look to man to promote me instead of God. Look to God. God is a just God. God will not sell us down the tube. So I see this right here. The, the, the blessing of, of number six where the Lord said that he shine upon you and he be gracious to you. So what happens here, you see the mercy of God and the compassion of God. That he literally goes from the pit to the prison to ultimately the palace because he continued to serve God. Now, you may be squeezed right now in this life, but do you continue to serve God? Or do you complain? Do you mope around and do you say, life isn't fair? See, I highlight because we go back to Matthew 7. The storms are going to come. And over and over, I saw the things of God that were built into the heart of Joseph that he said, I'm going to hang on to God. I'm going to hang on to the word of God. So you go back and remember the man who lives by the word of God. He was called wise. And when you look at what ultimately happened to Joseph, he was viewed as the wisest man in all of Egypt. The word of God and God himself will make you look like a genius when you hang on to the things of God. Now go with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. And this is what we're going to end with this morning. Romans chapter 5, one of the greatest passages of Scripture with the Apostle Paul. So when you're treated unfairly, when trials come, and they're going to come, how you respond is the deciding factor. And what I found out about this thing called life, suffering never leaves you where it found you. You will either become bitter or you'll become better. Where are you at right now? Are you in a place of suffering? Man, welcome God. Ooh, Father God, I welcome you to this. Now watch this truth from the Apostle Paul. Romans 5, verse number 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, having been acquitted, made right by faith, we have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, what a promise. 
You've been justified because of Jesus, and you can experience peace because of Jesus. Even in the middle of a storm. Verse 2. Through whom also we have access, or we enter by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the whole Christian life, now listen real close to me, the whole Christian life is a result of God's grace in which we stand. What does it mean in which we stand? You stand on the word of God. You're not moved because of the grace of God. Day by day by day, welcome the grace of God. Grace me today, Father God, to stand. Grace me not to fall. Grace me to get back up. Grace me, Father God. And so again, to me, this is a form of gracious. The Lord be gracious to you. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We glory in trouble. We glory in hardships. Now outside of my Bible on that line right there, you know what I wrote? What audacity that Paul would say we would, we would rejoice in tribulations. I used to look at this and say, you've got to be kidding. But why would he tell us to glory in tribulations, troubles, hardships? Listen real close. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Better stated, tribulation produces endurance. The only way that that endurance is produced is through tribulation I can't find any other area in the Bible that says this is how endurance will be formed within you only by tribulation so I'm going to go through tribulation and you're going to go through tribulation it's not if but it's how do I handle it when it does happen so when I handle it and say man Father God you're working something within me and you know what endurance means? I don't quit. I don't quit. You're in the marathon right now. Some of you may be at the three-mile mark, and you say, I'm going to quit. I'm at the 10-mile. Some of you at the, the halfway point. I'm going to quit. I want to. But something on the inside, he says, just keep going. I'm going to keep serving God. Grace me to stand, Father God. Grace me not to quit. Why? God's working something in you. Keep reading. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, fortitude, will produce character. It will refine my character. It will mature my character. It forges tempered steel of virtue. Character. With big dreams requires big character. And so oftentimes when we think of character, we have the thought, well, I, I'm just going to come down there and I'm going to have people lay hands on me and pray for me in the name of Jesus, that I'll get character. Uh-huh. That's not how it's going to happen. 
There's going to be trials and hardships. And when I endure them, that endurance begins to mold and begins to shape your character. In other words, you don't know really what's in you until you get pressed. I wish I could say, woohoo, happy day. Let me give you a definition of character here. Doing the right thing in the wrong situation. Joseph to a T. You know what character is? I do the right thing even in a wrong situation. Another definition of character me is I do the right thing when no one sees. We go back to Joseph. No one knew what that cougar was doing to him, Potiphar's wife. But he said, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. And he's building character. Something is being refined on the inside. And so he says, tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character, hope. And character, hope. When our Christian character goes through hardship, the hope of receiving what God has promised grows stronger. You know what Joseph's saying? I had this dream. I had this dream. From the time he had the dream until he walked through the dream, 13 years. 13 years. Stay with it, okay? And character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. The best way I can explain this is the word disappoint is the exact opposite of a point. The word dis in a point, the word dis means to undo. Hope does not undo the promise that God has for you. Hang on to it. And the reason I highlighted 13 years ago, it's not going to be on your timetable. But hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we understand this. We know that the hope of the great future blessings will not turn out to be false because the Holy Spirit gives lavish evidence of what God's wanting to do. And he moves on the inside of you. And you stay with it. And you stay with it day by day by day by day. And so we serve a God that wants to be gracious to you. But I got I to gotta follow him all the days of my life. And I got to live for him with a passion. And I say that passion because when I go back when he was in prison, he had a passion. You may not be where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be. And so Joseph knew this, guys. There's only one person that can hinder your destiny. And there's only one person that can delay your destiny. You. You. So I come to a place like Joseph and say, Lord, grace me today to live wholeheartedly before you. Grace me to live the long haul that I'm in it, Lord. You're working in me right now.
And some of you who've been on the verge of quitting, don't quit. Don't give up. God is at work right now. And I highlight again a man who went from the pit to the prison to the palace. I'm going to ask you to stand up right there where you're at today. Ooh, the goodness of God. Here's my prayer today. Is number six. Where the Lord's face shine upon you. And he be gracious to you. That he be merciful to you. That he be compassionate toward you. And I encourage you. Speak that over your life. Lord, I welcome your grace upon me to stand. Speak that over your children. Woo, God, be merciful to them. Stir back up on the inside, Father God. And so if you're here today, Lord, be gracious to us. Let me ask you something. Have you flunked the test of perseverance? And when tribulations and trials started coming, you flunked. Maybe you flunked the character part. Remember, character's doing the right thing in the wrong situation. Maybe you flunked the hope test. And, and, and you gave up. You lived disappointed. Oh, God is a God of a second chance. God is a God, our God is a God that says, I'll grace you. I'll grace you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. And if you've got sidetracked in this life, maybe because the very first thing I talked about, the first point today, you felt abandoned or betrayed by family or someone in your life that really, really hurt you or let you down. God wants to touch your heart today. The second one, remember, if you're exposed to some form of temptation that you didn't even desire, but it's like it kept coming at you. Who grace me to stand today, Father God. And I believe this one's huge for us in here today, that maybe you've been punished for doing the right thing. I believe this, that God wants to give you a double portion of grace to, to say, hang in there, stay with it. And this last one. Have you looked to man instead of God? Ooh, aren't you glad we serve a God who, who loves us? That we serve a God who says, I, I want to be gracious. I want you to prosper. I want you to succeed. It doesn't matter if you're in a prison. It doesn't matter if you're in the palace. God wants to leave his thumbprints upon us today. And so as they sing today, one or more of those identities may be you. I remember times in my life when it would get hard, I would complain and I'd tell God that's not fair. Life's not fair, but God is. God is just, and He sees. So as they sing this word, I welcome you to say, I'm coming down here for a, a, a fresh grace from you today, Father God. We're going to welcome that right now. That's the first thing we're going to do. Go ahead, guys, sing. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.